Welcome to OECD Podcast, where policy meets people. Hello, and welcome to OECD Podcasts. I'm Christine Langebucher, Head of Unit for Local Employment and Skills Policies in the OECD Center for Entrepreneurship, SMEs, Regions and Cities. Today, we're going to talk about how the social and solidarity economy can fast-track the labor market integration of refugees and migrants. So why is this so important? According to the UN Refugee Agency, more than 100 million people were forcibly displaced in 2022. And with Russia's war of aggression against Ukraine, Europe has seen the biggest refugee crisis since the Second World War, with more than 6 million people fleeing Ukraine. A big challenge for refugee protection and reception systems. And clearly something public services cannot stem on their own. This is where the social and solidarity economy steps in and steps up to both support governments and fill gaps in public support. Well, how does the social economy help refugees access the labor market? To discuss these issues, I am pleased to be joined by Anne Bartel, who's co-founder and CEO of Ready School of Digital Integration from Berlin, Germany, and Thomas Liebig, Principal Administrator in the OCD Directorate for Employment, Labor and Social Affairs, where he is heading the work on migrant integration. Anne, Thomas, great to have you here and welcome to OCD Podcasts. Before we turn to our social entrepreneur, Anne, let's start with Thomas. Thomas, there's many different aspects of migrant integration worth discussing. For today, we'll focus on labor market integration. What are the challenges here? Yeah, thank you, Christine. Great to be here with you today. Um, yes, when we look at uh, the labor market integration of refugees, it's very clear that they face specific vulnerabilities that other migrant groups don't face, uh, many of which are due to the forced nature of their displacement. Right? They haven't chosen to be going uh, to where they've been going, but they have been forced to. That's the nature of a, of, um, of, uh, of, of a refugee. And uh, so clearly, they often arrive without any links to the host country. They don't have a job. They have often actually good qualifications from their origin country, but they were not able to put it in practice for a long time particularly when you look when you look at long-term uh, conflicts as we uh, as we have been facing in Afghanistan uh, Syria and uh, some uh, some of the African uh, countries where a lot of uh, asylum seekers and refugees are coming from uh, and uh, and if they were able to put them in their skills into use it was in a very different context um, so when they arrive at the labor market, uh, the question is how you transfer that, that, those skills and knowledge, how do you connect them with employers? Um, and, uh, and if you look at the broader picture, then you see that in the past, the employment track record of uh, refugees has not been great, particularly in Europe. But uh, more recent refugees have actually fared much better. And uh, there's a number of reasons for that. Um, uh, first of all, because more recent refugees are actually more educated than previous uh, refugee arrivals. Um, secondly, um, because um, the, um, the, ha the, the labor markets are generally now in a more favorable situation than, than previously the case, so there's more job opportunities out for them. Um, uh, and uh, thirdly, also because clearly integration policies uh, are also picking up. Uh, and uh, we see actually a lot of 
blossoming of, um, of integration activities. It's not only the state who does it all, but it's also a lot of, um, of other social economy stakeholders and others who are doing that. Uh, and, and here we see a lot of activities going on, notably in, in some of the big cities where, um, where refugees are, are strongly concentrated. Thank you, Thomas. And Anne, I think this is exactly where Ready School story began. Large flows of refugees arriving in big cities. In fact, in the case of Ready School, it, the starting point was Berlin in Germany. But now it's actually many more cities in Europe. So what is Ready School about? I think the best way to explain what we're doing is really to start by a story. So in 2015, like so many other people, I was watching the news and seeing that there was such a big inflow of people arriving in Germany, um, many young people, similar to me in Germany. I'm Danish, I was also in Berlin. So I was wondering what can I do to make a difference to those who are arriving? And I was in a refugee camp where I met a young man called Mohammed, who was a refugee from Iraq, who was telling me that he was a um, computer scientist educated from the university, but he didn't have a laptop so he couldn't continue programming. And the tech sector is moving so fast that if you don't use it, you lose it, they say. So I thought, how can this be? Germany is absolutely desperate for tech talents. Here's a young tech talent. What piece of infrastructure seems to be missing here that we can create a win-win situation where Mohammed gets into a tech job, the tech industry, gets a Mohammed or another talent to come in to do the job. And that's how Ready School really started. So we are a tech school teaching um, refugees, migrants, and marginalized locals as well, all kinds of tech skills. So we have high-end tech education where we're teaching data science, we are teaching coding, um, cloud computing, cybersecurity, very advanced tech skills. And on the other hand side, we are also teaching digital literacy. So there are people who are arriving in Germany, Denmark or Sweden who don't know how to use a laptop and they need to be picked up because our societies are becoming more and more digital. And if you can't access online banking, then you will be really outside of the system even more than you already were in the beginning. So Ready School now has a portfolio of 109 different courses. So it's quite diverse. If I may ask a question, man. Um, like when you look at the situation of the Ukrainians and Germany has taken a lot, um, probably now has probably passed Poland as the most important destination country of uh, refugees from Ukraine. And many of them have actually some, some tech background from, from the first data that we have. Um, uh, some figures suggest about 10%. Um, so, so clearly, uh, they're, they're, and Ukraine is a highly digitalized country. Um, so what, do you, what are some of the activities that you're doing for that group? And do you see any specific challenges or, or, like, or do they do better or worse? And, and, and how do you connect that? So when the situation in Ukraine started escalating, we of course asked ourselves, what can, can we do to support? Um, and what we always do at Ready School is co-creation. So we invited the people we already knew who were Ukrainians already in Germany to come together with us, meeting with some of the first arrivals who were all mostly women, to really sit down 
and do brainstorming to figure out what do you need, when do you have time, what kind of support do you need. And from that, um, within, I would say, about three weeks, we were able to create the first pilot project um, where we were teaching high-end tech skills. And the biggest challenge that we could see was language, because normally we either teach in German or we teach in English. And when we were asking the people arriving from Ukraine what their language skills were and what they felt comfortable learning in, the answer was really either Ukrainian or Russian. So we were thinking, well, what, how do we manage this? How can we teach cybersecurity, which was one of the insights that they really, really wanted. So together with our partner, Cisco, we actually did one cybersecurity course where the teacher was teaching in English, and then we had a machine doing um, translation in real time. Of course, it's not 100% uh, accurate, but it was 90% accurate maybe, and that was enough for them to really understand what they were learning. So the way that we were able to face this language challenge was um, in the case of our partner Cisco, we were teaching cybersecurity and we were using machines to do the uh, actual translation. And anyone who's seen machine direct translation know that it's not 100% accurate, but it was accurate enough that our students could understand what the teacher was saying. And when it came to actual certification, they could do it um, online in either Ukrainian or Russian. So that was our way of just being very open and playful and try to figure out what works and then try to see how can we learn from that? How can we improve our courses so that in the second implementation, the courses would become better, but not thinking that the first time will be perfect. It was more important for us to pick up speed. That's such an amazing story, Anna. It, it always gives me shivers. Um, and I think Ready is a real success story. I think the tech sector can be really lucky to have you. Um, but in fact, there is thousands of other social economy organizations out there in OECD countries that make a real difference to refugees' lives on a daily basis. And I think governments and other, whether at the local or national level, could benefit more often from organizations like yours um, if they work with them from a very early stage. And this is, in fact, a focus of new OECD research, which finds that the added value from working with the social economy derives from three main factors. Um, and I think we've touched up on all of those already now. Um, the first would be um, how the social economy offers responsive and innovative solutions. I think um, one of the, the reasons why it's um, innovative, it's working, for example, with volunteers, and this is what Ready does, it's teachers are volunteers. Um, innovation of, often actually stems from collaboration at the local level with either a wide range of partners or new partners. And in fact, um, like the tech industry, I mean, who would have thought of them, right? Um, the second um, is, um, the so, like, social economy's holistic and people-centered approach. And I think, Anna, you, you, you said it all. It's, it's this idea of co-creation. And I know you often say it's, you know, it's not about talking about refugees, it's talking with them. And I think this is really uh, an important point. And finally, there's also the locally rooted governance models. Um, you haven't given it away, but in fact, Ready School operates in nine different cities across Europe. And then yet every ready school is different because every school caters to the local needs 
the needs of the local communities. And I think this is what a lot of social economy organizations can bring to the table. Loads of great stuff. And then many of these organizations struggle on a daily basis to actually provide this amazing support for refugees and other um, migrants. And this is the point where I like to turn to our listeners, many of whom are policymakers and leaders in cities. And Anna, if there was one message you could give to them today, what would it be? I guess I have a lot of ideas, but if I had to just say one thing, it would be have a look at the model of how Ready School is working with the municipality of Munich, because it's extremely outcome-oriented and it's extremely non-bureaucratic, which is a rare thing to have the combination of the two. But for the last five years, we have been working with the municipality in a public-private partnership model that has also won the EuroCities Award, so it has been externally evaluated. And this is workable, and it's also scalable, and this is what we would love to do with many more municipalities across Europe. Okay. You're so Munich is the place to look. Uh, Thomas, I will hand over to you for some final observations. Yeah, thanks. No, a very interesting initiative. And I think it's, uh, it's shown a couple of, of, of things. First of all, you, you need an idea, obviously, but it also needs to be scalable and transferable. And, and I think you have shown that in your uh, uh, in your approach by, by implementing it in other, in other cities. Um, that uh, and I think also that th that there's a lot of future in that public-private partnership. The state cannot do it alone, but it cannot be all on the private either. So it must be some kind of cooperation, and that's actually one of the most fascinating observations for me in integration policy in recent years. That there's a bit of a convergence of of policies at the highest level. The countries that previously used to do it all by themselves, and I think Sweden is a good example, have a lot more um, NGO, uh, public-private, or social economy initiatives that are not completely only the state uh, um, uh, blossoming, and, and, uh, and a lot of initiative on that end. And in other countries where there's been completely on the private side, for example, in, in North America, um, we see a lot more uh, initiatives also at, uh, uh, at, 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 at the state level at, uh, uh, from, from the government side. So we see a bit of a convergence there. And I think these public-private partnerships, that's preci precisely where it's happening. And the final observation, I found it very interesting because everybody thinks in the, in the tech industry, uh, language doesn't matter. Everybody speaks English and, and that's it. And, and your, your experience, uh, and I found that very fascinating, has actually shown that, that language is, a, is an issue, is an issue everywhere, and it's important to be aware of that, and that it's a challenge that should not be underestimated. Thank you so much, Thomas. I think that's unfortunately all the time we've got for today. Um, thank you so much, Anna and Thomas. Anna, a real pleasure to have you with us today. All the best for Ready School and we keep following you. Thomas, always good to talk to you about integration policies. Um, listeners, if you're interested in finding out more, check out the OECD's webpage www.oecd.org for more information on the social and solidarity economy as well as migration policies. And on bringing these two topics together, check out our new paper um, that's called The Social and Solidarity Economy as a Partner Along the Refugee Journey. To listen to other OECD podcasts, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and soundcloud.com slash OECD.